0: Saturday will be September the 28th, and for this church family, a special day, though I am suspicious that probably most of you do not know what makes September 28th a special day. So I'm going to tell you this morning. On September 28th, 1949, oh, yeah, that goes back away, right? On September 28th, 1949, It was a Wednesday, and there were a group of people who gathered in the front yard that evening of Guy McDonald's house, the first preacher of the Dallin Road Church, for a Wednesday evening worship service. Four days later, a crowd of 46 gathered in the home of Regal Wise for what was their very first Sunday service. Eventually, property was purchased on Lucas Street, and that little group constructed a meeting house and called themselves the Pinecrest Church. Is the picture coming together for you? As years went by, that little group outgrew the building on Lucas, and after a merger with the 10th and Laurel Church, it's very intimidating going through this history with Max sitting there because I know he knows. This building was constructed in 1990 and became known as the Dallin Road Church. And so, for those of you who are doing math, you've already figured out that Saturday will mark 70 years since that very first group gathered for that very first gathering of what would become this church. What I think is really cool is that there are actually still two people in this crowd this morning that were in that crowd. Cherry Smith and Troy Wise were in that front yard at Guy McDonald's house all the way back. Man, I shouldn't say that because I'm telling ages now a little bit, right? And I know a lot of you were here on December 26th, 1990. Raise your hand. Were you here for that first service? December 26, 1990. Go ahead, put them up. Let's see. Yeah, see a lot of you were here for the very first church uh, service in this church building, which is about, are you ready for it, about 30 years ago. Now you told on your age too.
1: Can y'all believe that? That goes way back. I mentioned all of that this morning, not just to reminisce,
0: but I think reaching this milestone, seven years decades offers us this morning an opportunity to reflect the church looks a little different doesn't it than it did 70 years ago I don't know if we could get all of you in that front yard today it's a larger group and a larger group in large part because over the years a lot of work has been done in this community the gospel has been preached in Beaumont Texas in fact Many of you sitting here today were not there that day. Well, some of you weren't born yet. But over the years, some of you weren't even Christians yet. And someone from this church family went out into this community. Maybe you worked with them, maybe you were neighbors with them, and they taught you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over time, people responded and came, and the congregation here has grown and thrived. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about why that is. What what has happened? over seven decades that enabled this group of people to go from just a little group of folks in somebody's front yard to this assembly that we're all part of this morning. I think there's value in looking back and asking asking those questions. I also think there is value in looking forward and thinking about the future of this church family. Maybe looking forward, what, another 30 years? September 28th 2049 will mark 100 years. And if that seems like a long way off, I'll just remind you it's about the same distance from the first time you met in this building and you're thinking that wasn't that long ago, and that's right. We're going to turn t- turn around twice and two or 3 decades will go by and some of us won't be around anymore. Sorry to be pessimistic, but that I'm not pessimistic, I'm a pragmatist, okay? And some of you younger families with little kids, you're going to be the old people with grandkids. And trust me, it is really good. Don't sweat. It's better than the kid part, having grandkids, okay? And some of the younger guys in the crowd won't be the younger guys in the crowd. You will be the shepherds who are taking care of this church family. Here's my question. What will the church look like then? I understand, brothers and sisters, that at some point, It isn't in our hands anymore. There almost isn't anybody left who who was responsible for this church building, our church in 1949 and 1950. There will come a time when we will all be gone, and we can't do anything about what happens then. But on our watch, during our time, the next decade or two or three, we can do something about that, which raises a question, well, what will we do
1: on our watch? I have planned for two or three months now to talk to you about that today.
0: And then Wednesday and Thursday came last week and the storm and the flooding and damaged houses. Some of you going through that for the second time now. And I started to wonder by the time we got to Friday, well, maybe I should talk about something different today. What should I say to the crowd today? But honestly, folks, all my flood recovery sermons,
1: I've burned those up the last two years. I don't have any more of that. And then I remembered how much storms have been part of this history, history of this church. You
0: realize that? That little building that those brethren came together and built. Some of you are thinking, that's not what that building looks like on Lucas anymore. And you're right, because that first building caught fire and burned to the ground. There are people who could still remember seeing the smoke of the building burning. And those disciples had to come together and build another building. That's what it looks like today.
1: Holds the car there, Max. How did did I know he would know that? (laughs) And it isn't just that. There have been storms of
0: controversy where somebody got upset about something and made a scene and left. And then there have been been storms like the 94 flood. I don't even think y'all
1: had a name for that one, did you? And then Rita and Ike. Harvey and Amelda goes on that list now. And in yet, in, in, in spite of all of that,
0: here we are today, back against what more. It's, it's, it's part of our history, this persevering during the periods of adversity. And so I decided after pondering all that, well, I think I'll just talk about what I plan to talk about today. You know, as we look back, at where we've come from and what's brought us to this place, and then look forward and to think about where we're going to go. It just seems to me that there are some constants, some things that have always been part of who we are and what we do that are the things that make the difference. And I want us to ponder that today, because as we look beyond this day and think about the next decade and two and three, I would contend that the things that have brought us where we are for the last seven decades will carry us through to the ones that are to come. And so I want to mention three of those to you this morning as we look back and think about what's coming. So the very first thing that I have to put on that list is I think what has brought us to where we are is the fact that we trust God. I'm going to talk to you about a lot of things today, brothers and sisters, but I will tell you, I don't have anything coming on this list that is more important than this item on the list. It is the most important thing, that down through all that time, this has been a church family that has trusted God. And why not, brothers and sisters? He is worthy of our trust. Go back all the way to the beginning, back to Genesis, where God is displayed in Scripture as the great creator. We have talked about that again and again and again this this year. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, God made man in his image. We are, as human beings, the creation of God, which means he knows us better than anybody does. And then add to that the fact that God loves us, epitomizing what we've just celebrated, the covenant of the cross, right? For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only begotten son. And so put those things together. We have a God who knows us and a God who loves us. And those realities are behind every command. And you're thinking, I've heard David say that before. You've heard me say that this year and more than once. It is a truth that we rehearse again and again and again. Everything God says to us is rooted in his knowledge of us and his love for us. Here's my question this morning. Do we believe that? I mean, not just enough to say amen when the point is made in the sermon. Do we believe it enough to act in faith
1: because we believe that's true? So I thought about your passage, Max. I
0: know I've quoted it recently, but it fits here. Proverbs 3, did your mind go there? Proverbs 3 and verse 5, where the wise man says, listen, if we trust him, here's what we do. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and if you do that, you won't do what? What does it say? You will not lean in your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So there it is. When, when the trust exists in God, what happens is he becomes our compass and our roadmap. He plots the course. He determines the direction. And I think over the years, that is exactly what you have found with this church family, that because they have trusted in God and they have not leaned in their own understanding, God's, God's plotted the course. Decade after decade after decade. Can I illustrate that in some specific ways? God has given us the message. And what's been taught here year after year after year has been his message. And brothers and sisters, that has been the case even though the world we live in has been a changing world. You realize that? In spite of the fact that our world has changed, the message of this church for seven decades has remained unchanged. What has been taught from this pulpit about salvation and worship and morality, it isn't any different today than what was taught when Guy McDonald was preaching here. Why? Because we're preaching from the same book. And we're trusting in the same message. And by the way, can I just add to that? That it hasn't affected our ability to grow and thrive in 2019? I don't think there are people, I think there are a lot of people who don't believe that, who think, well, if you just kind of stick with what the Bible says and preach what the Bible says in 2019, you're not going to reach anybody today because folks just don't want to hear that. Really? Look around you this morning. For seven decades, that's what's been taught, and the church here has grown and thrived. It's trusting in his message. Hey, it's trusting him. It's trusting him to determine our future. I love talking to Max. That's been one of my privileges for the last 12 years, uh, to to sit and talk to Max uh, about the journey this church has made during those periods that I wasn't part of this. I'm a newcomer to this. Let's talk to him about some of the big decisions that had to be made in the past. And, you know, kind of scary decisions like building this building. I remember Max saying the leadership would come together and they would talk about the challenge that was in front of him. And yet again and again, he would say what the leaders would say is, if this is God's will, if this is what he wants us to do, he will provide.
1: He will give us what we need to make this work. And how many times has he done that? Again again and again, and again. And he's seen us through the storms. How many mornings have we gathered like this? Shell-shocked
0: in the aftermath of some devastating storm. You feel that
1: way a little bit today? And how many times has someone stood up in this pulpit and said, God will get us through it? And when has he ever failed? to? The history of this church is a history of persevering through the storms because we trust him. And so as we look into our future, to the next couple of weeks and the recovery, and then the years and the decades beyond that, here's the takeaway this morning. If we want to
0: thrive in the years to come, as this church has in the past, we got to keep on trusting
1: God. Because frankly, God, if our, folks, if our trust is not in Him, we don't have a future. Now, if we do
0: trust Him, I would suggest that, that trust is going to be expressed in some specific ways. For example, if we trust him, then we will keep on executing the mission. And so that's the next thing on my list. And you're stunned to hear me say that, aren't you? To talk about our work, to go out and win the lost people. We don't ever talk about that here, do we? And no, we talk about it all the time. In fact, I told you, all recently had somebody complain a few years ago, man, y'all just talk about evangelism all the time. I'm just, just kind of getting tired of that. I didn't say it, but I thought in my heart, well, you're in the wrong church. That's part of our DNA. That's who we are, Folks a church that believes in the work of going out and reaching lost people. You've heard the passages before. Jesus said of himself in Luke 19 and verse 10, that I've come to seek and save that which was lost. It starts with our Lord who is our example. And then in Mark 16 and verse 15, he called us to partner with him in the mission. When he said, go make disciples of all the nations. And the early Christians got that. Even in the face of great persecution, people being killed for preaching. In Acts 8 and verse 4, we're told, they went everywhere preaching
1: the word. I occasionally encounter people who are pessimistic about the mission I remember preaching about this
0: for a church a few years ago when I got done I went to the back and one of the men shook my hand he said um, he said Wesley that was a good lesson and I wish he'd put a period right there and stop talking
1: but he didn't because what he said next was it sure is sad that nobody wants to hear today.
0: That's what you understand, brothers and sisters. That pessimism is just one step away from indifference on our part. If nobody's going to listen, why try? Well, I'll tell you why we try. We try because it's it's our responsibility. It's our mission. It's our marching orders. If nobody will hear me at all, what did Noah do to his generation? He kept on preaching,
1: and that's our responsibility. But, you know, I just tell you, I don't think it's true. Look around you.
0: There's more here than the 46 people in in, in Brother Wise's living room that
1: first Sunday. Where'd y'all come from? A lot of you were lost people, and someone shared the gospel with you. In fact, have y'all noticed that when stuff happens like we have a storm,
0: that for a while we don't see as many baptisms? Have y'all noticed that? Maybe two or three months will go by and nobody will respond. And, and then we kind of get past that a little bit and then there'll be a baptism and a couple of months later, then another one. And then like three weeks later, another one. And then two days later, we've been seeing that recently, right? Numbers have started to come back up. What's that about? What does that tell us? That it isn't about the people in our world being interested. It's all about our work. We get distracted. Storms do that to us, doesn't it? And yet when we get back on track and we start working again, what happens? People start responding. The problem is not that folks aren't interested today. The
1: problem is the disciples aren't teaching them. So as we look to the future and learn from the past, here's the second takeaway. We must
0: execute our mission. You remember the lesson a few weeks ago about thriving and dying? Number one thing on that list, the difference between churches that thrive and die comes down to this. Do they teach the loss or not? Even as our culture drifts, brothers and sisters, I think opportunities will increase for us. I am fearful that people think, well, you know, people are just becoming so ungodly today, and we moan and groan about how terrible our world is, and we think people won't hear today. Listen, folks, sin creates desperate people. The gospel in the first century went out to a wicked, idol filled Roman world, and it spread like wildfire because it was preached to sin-sick people. And I tell you what happens, when people hit the bottom
1: and they're swirling the drain, a lot of them look up. And Jesus says to us, you extend a hand because I've given you something to offer them.
0: Back during Harvey, Kenneth Sanders reminded me of something that I'm embarrassed I didn't
1: think more about. He said storms are a great time to talk to people. because they're suffering. And they've just been they just been hit with the reality that in a moment everything can be gone. We are able to remind them of the only
0: thing that has abiding value. You know folks, all the things we labor for in this life in a moment it can be gone. What were you planning Wednesday? I had a doctor's appointment in Houston. Seriously, I'm thinking, do I really want to go 105? It might be a little flooded on Wednesday.
1: What were your plans? Boy, you get up Thursday morning, everything was different, was it? That's the way life is. But the work of the gospel
0: carries with it the promise of an inheritance that isn't affected by things like that. Head over to 1
1: Peter for a minute. I'm headed to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, looking down at verse number 3. 1 Peter
0: 1 and verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away unaffected by tropical storms, I added that part, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. At a time when people are looking around and trying to find something to hang on to, something that's real,
1: something that abides, there it is. That's what we share. When we carry the gospel to. And so if there is to be in this place on September 28, 2049, a thriving
0: congregation of God's people, this is what will make the difference. We must be a people who execute the mission
1: on our watch. We've got some great soul winners in this church. And they're going to die. Who will take up their work? And continue the mission. Our future depends on that. And as
0: we do that work to go spread the gospel in this community, the last thing on my list is we are going to have to continue to strive for oneness. That's the last thing on my list this morning. You know, there's something special about this church family, brothers and sisters, and I think we are so used to it, it has become common to us. We don't think of it as being special. Anymore. But what's different about this church family is the fact that we are different. This is a rather bizarre collection of people. People from all kinds of different backgrounds, people from all kinds of different economic circumstances, a great diversity of ages and races all together as one family this morning, part of me thinks that in one sense that should not be something surprising because it is exactly what God has in mind. If you go in your Bible to Galatians, this is Galatians chapter 3, look down to verse 26, Galatians 3 and verse 26, Paul says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now listen to 28, here's either Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to the promise. And so the language of Scripture is that Jesus brings everybody, no matter who you are, where you come from, what race you are, what country is your home, brings us all together into one family. Churches, brothers and sisters, sisters ought to look like their community because what they should be doing is pulling together into one family Everybody in that community who's interested in following Jesus. That's what I like about this church. Y'all thought about that?
1: This church looks like Beaumont. And I'm thankful to be part of a church that looks like Beaumont. And in that, you have been a light for so many other people. People visit here and they say things
0: like, Man, that's so cool, that race thing y'all got going on here. I, my processor works a little slow when I hear that, doesn't it? Yours?
1: Like, what race thing do we have going on? And then you visit some other place and you figure it out. There are not many places like this. In fact, I was doing some reading last day or two,
0: <laughs> some articles that celebrated the way that religious diversity is growing among religious groups. Diversity is growing among religious groups. You know what they're celebrating? That in the last two decades, the number of churches that could be counted as diverse has gone from 6% to
1: 12%. One out of 10 is worth celebrating? That is pathetic. People who love Jesus ought to be leading the way on this. Too often
0: they reflect the division of our culture rather than the oneness that God had in mind. And so as we look back and think about where we've come from and what's brought us here and then then we think about the future, here's my last takeaway. We need to keep working on oneness. And that isn't going to be easy. Can I just be honest with you about that? It wasn't easy to get where we are, and it won't be easy to continue going forward into the future. Culture works very hard, brothers and sisters, to tell us stories about people who are different than we are. And then social media allows us to carelessly perpetuate those stories and damage our church family. Never missing a time to take a shot at Facebook. Did you catch that today? Didn't want you to
1: miss it. I think it takes a determined effort not to hear those voices, but to listen to Jesus. Who tells us, well, in John 13, verse 34, A new
0: commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also loved one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And as an expression of that love, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7, as Paul is describing how love behaves, one of the things that he said to us is that we are to assume in other people the very best in their words and in their actions. And so if you find yourself listening to cultural stories and reading something that a brother said or does in the worst possible ways, stop it. It is contrary to the love that God says we're to have for each other. The love, by the way, that tends to bubble up and, well, that may not be the best way to say that, but bubble up and evidence itself at times like these, right?
1: When in someone's nasty, wet, flooded house, the rich and poor, and the young and old, and the educated and uneducated, and the black and the white and Hispanic put on those boots and those gloves, and if it's been some kind of respirator system, and we wade in and we clean up, don't we? because of the love we have for each other. Boy, that family just comes out at times like this. So we got to keep working hard at
0: that. I think about the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Remember this, Ephesians 4 verse 1. Where he said, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace.
1: Verse 3 is saying, work really hard all the time. Strive for oneness.
0: It's interesting It's interesting, Reuben, that this is in Ephesians. Because if you back up a little bit of chapter 2, Paul will talk to us about the challenge they had in their time, in their culture, to be one. As they sought to blend into one church family, Jew and Gentile. And so, in verse 11, this is chapter 2, verse 11... Paul would write, Therefore remember that you formerly, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might both of them in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. He's describing there the bringing together of Jew and Gentile into one church family in the first century. And I just tell you something, brothers and sisters, against that kind
1: of racial hatred that existed, if they could do that, so can we, through the power that Christ supplies. It's my prayer that 30 years from now, when someone
0: else stands in this pulpit, Reuben and my son Jonathan have been plotting to take over anyway. They told us when they were young trainees here that they would one day take Max and I's job from us. Maybe it'll be Reuben, maybe it'll be someone else when they stand in this pulpit and comment on the 100
1: years that disciples have labored in this community, my prayer is that he will speak to a crowd that looks like this, a crowd that looks like Beaumont, a picture that pleases our King. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our Lord, we humble ourselves before you one more time this
2: morning, asking God that you hear our petition that we make to you. We look back this morning, Father, to 70 years ago when this congregation began. We're thankful, Father, for those pioneering saints and the work that they did beginning in 1949 and the work that has been done since that time to bring not only this congregation into fruition, but to bring us to the point where we are today. Our Father, we look beyond those 70 years back to the cross of Jesus that has made the unity and oneness that we enjoy possible. Not just Jew and Gentile being brought together, but people of every religious heritage People of every ethnicity, red and yellow, black and white, we know, God, that all souls are precious to you. We are thankful, God, that this body of believers is a reflection of what your will says we ought to be. A reflection of Southeast Texas, where people of Asian descent, Hispanic descent, black, white, whatever, wherever we may have come from, whatever our past has been, that you brought us together, God, to be one. And we give great praise and thanksgiving unto you for that. Our Father, beyond that, we pray for the future. We are grateful that things are as they are this day. But we pray, God, that 30 years from now, if the world should stand so long that this congregation will continue to trust in you, not only individual as separate and disciples, individual saints, but as a body of believers, as we have been, may we, may we always be
1: united for your purposes, trusting in you, executing your mission,
2: and being one in our Savior even the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we recognize that we are imperfect in so many ways, and yet we know, God, that by your grace and by the power of your gospel and by the potency of the blood of Jesus that you can help us not only to be forgiven of every sin but to overcome and to rise above this world. And pray, God, that this congregation will continue to be a light in this community. That it will be all that you would have it to be. And pray, Father, that every disciple who names your name in this place would be engaged in winning the lost in whatever way we can, God, to reach out to others and bring people to the feet of your magnificent Son, our Savior. God, bless the future of this congregation as you have blessed the past. May we always be one, and may we stand so close to one another that none may fall. We pray this prayer, God, in the name of our Lord and Savior, our Captain, our King, our Commander, the Lord Jesus Christ,
1: and all the people said, Amen. For God bless us as we have gathered today.